Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hey Molly, um, my name is Zoe. I'm a 26-year-old trans woman living in Brooklyn, New York, and I became um, a subscriber a while ago because I felt compelled to support you and just the incredible work that you're doing. Um, to make a long story short, this podcast is one of the only things that's giving me like a glimmer of hope right now and a sense of understanding into myself and really helping me reflect and understand why I do the things that I do. Um, I'm really, I, I've, I've been really desperate to do this for a long time and I feel like nothing out there has really gotten me to ask the kind of questions that I've been asking recently until I started listening. And I just wanted to thank you for that because it's really difficult to even put into words how important it is and and how beautiful it is that you're doing this for so many other people as well. So, um, so thank you. And, um, I'm just, I'm just really happy that, that, that it's, that it here, that, that it, that it exists. Hey Molly, my name is Tim. I'm 32 years old. I live in Los Angeles, California. I am kind of currently on my own spiritual journey, recovering from addiction and a breakup that I was entirely responsible for and figuring out my own CPTSD stuff. And my therapist doesn't use the word borderline and, and won't say that. And so it kind of took me a little while to start using borderline resources or resources that use the word borderline. And I'm just so grateful that I found your podcast and the work that you do. These kinds of journeys are very isolated and lonely and there's this incredible power in, in the way that you share your story and the way that you help others share their stories and um, the strength and, and resilience that I'm that you have and that I feel from this is is really really special and I'm very grateful I'm very very grateful I I hope that you know what you're doing for people because this is very very difficult and thank you (laughs) welcome to back from the borderline I want to thank both Zoe and Tim for your beautiful and vulnerable voicemails. It's not easy going through what you're going through. It's not easy to face what needs to change. It's not easy to look the pain directly in the eye. It's not easy to come to terms with 
having hurt ourselves and maybe other people, especially the people that we love. And so I want to offer all the love in my heart back to you. The reason why I do what I do here on this podcast is because as you can hear in the voices of both Zoe and Tim and all the other voicemails that I play is that to find healing we don't always have to make the pain stop we don't always have to cure or fix sometimes the beginnings of healing just come from someone else who understands someone else who's been there someone who can reflect your pain back to you and help you know that you're not alone in this and you're not you're not alone you're not alone not even a little bit but it sure as hell feels like it so again thank you both for sharing so vulnerably so beautifully and every time I get a voicemail where it just feels a little bit like someone is going to cry or they're so full of emotion that they're having a hard time speaking it just like my heart just I can feel it just like swelling out of my chest with wanting to just reach out through the airways and give you a hug so I hope that you can feel the virtual hug that I'm giving both of you and also to anyone who feels similarly I encourage you to use the voicemail feature on my website and I want to remind you again that not only can you reach out and ask me a question or share how the podcast has impacted your life you can also respond to the voicemails of other people so that we can continue fostering this sense of community so if you relate to anyone who's shared something in a voicemail and you'd like to respond to that please use the voicemail feature on my website to do that and i will happily play those responses in future episodes so you just need to go to backfromtheborderline.com and click the microphone icon that pops up and it'll pop up on mobile or on desktop today i wanted to talk about how we can begin to forgive ourselves for the pain that may have resulted from our actions and I received a voicemail from Madison that I want to play before we dive into this so let's hear what Madison has to say Hey Molly, it's Madison. I'm 23 from Colorado and I'm sending in this voicemail because I want to get your perspective on what you do when you feel like you've taken steps backwards in your recovery journey. The past couple months, um, things have been rough, but I've been handling it well. I've been like surfing the waves of my life and things that would normally throw me way off track. I have been able to stay on track and not totally lose control. Up until about two weeks ago, I messed up big time and had a huge meltdown to my friends. And now my friends haven't talked to me in two weeks. And I just have all this shame and guilt and feel like I've regressed and that I should know better by now. And I've come so far. Why am I going back now? And I just can't stop beating myself up over it and feeling like I at this point should know better and do better and be better. (laughs) So I just 
wondering what your perspective is on this and how you move forward when you feel like you've taken so many steps back. Thank you for this voicemail, Madison. Wow. I guarantee that thousands of people that are tuning into this podcast and hearing that voicemail can relate to how that feels. I know I can. It's easy to hear my voice every week and maybe start to see me as someone who's like figured it all out. I've gotten emails like that before. They're like, Molly, do you still struggle? Do you still like, what is it like to be recovered? And the process is not finished for me. That's for sure. I still lose my cool. I still have blow ups. They're fewer and further between, that's for sure. And I feel like I can bounce back better, but it doesn't mean that I am the pinnacle of healed. I don't think anyone is. Don't forget that you're a human being. You have your own unique wiring, and sometimes we get to a stress point, especially those of us who are highly sensitive, highly reactive, highly emotional, and that's just the way we're wired, it's even more important for us to do my favorite skill. I always talk about this on the podcast from my very first DBT therapist, Bev, who is just fabulous and helped me in a really dark time. And she encouraged me to assess my vulnerabilities, which means treat myself almost like a baby. Am I hungry? Have I had like a bath? Have I had a good sleep? Have I moved my body? Do Have I had enough to drink? All these things, when we're sleep deprived, when we maybe have been drinking or doing drugs, even just weed just over and over, maybe taking psych meds at the same time, dehydrated, been sitting around and haven't moved our bodies, haven't eaten anything healthy, and then we maybe are premenstrual, and then we have a blow up, it's good to sort of pick apart, zoom out, and look like a scientist at things that happen to us because maybe, Madison, in this situation, maybe you didn't assess your vulnerabilities. Maybe if you look back, you can see, whoa, it actually makes sense why I reacted that way. There's no point in beating ourselves up after we fuck up like this. It's so hard when we realize we've done damage to relationships, but we can't force other people to change the way they feel about us. We can't force other people to forgive us or forget what happened. Time is a good healer. And so I think my first bit of advice here before we dive into even more on this is to just let yourself off the hook a little bit and allow time to heal. Don't try to fix things or force a resolution before time has allowed a bit of easing on the situation. I found a blog post this week by this incredible spiritual coach named Jim Tolls, and I've been binging his blog quite a bit and he posted an article back in 2018 called seven steps to atoning for pain you've caused another person so what does it mean to atone so the word atoning 
means to make amends or reparation. He was being helpful to atone for his past mistakes is an example of a sentence. When we apologize for something that we did wrong, that is an act of atonement. Many religions have rituals of atonement, like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, on which people of the Jewish faith repent for their sins. There's a very cleansing feeling of atonement. It even makes me think of baptism, right? You douse yourself in water and you're released from your sins. You're giving them up to a higher power, right? And you don't have to be religious to understand the spiritual importance of atoning. So let's read a little bit about what Jim Tolles says in this article about the seven different steps for atoning for the pain you've caused another person. As usual, you know it wouldn't be a Molly back from the borderline podcast if I don't pause throughout the article to provide some reactions. So I'll definitely announce when I pause reading Jim's words to share my own thoughts here. So he starts by saying, in a time where survivors of abuse are increasingly coming forth, are being appreciated, and are receiving help, there's another side of the healing spectrum that must be addressed, that of the abuser. And he's not saying here that we are abusers. It's not a label that we have to stick, but I think all of us in our life, if we're honest with ourselves, have probably stepped into the role of abuser at some point. I know I have. It doesn't mean that I've sexually assaulted someone. It doesn't mean that I have physically hit or hurt someone because I can say I actually haven't done that in my life. But I've certainly stepped into the role of abuser as emotional abuser. I've certainly been emotionally manipulative. I've been aggressive. I've been controlling, extremely emotionally abusive, for sure. So it's important to look ourselves in the eye and understand that hurt people hurt people. It's a human thing. This is why it's so important to atone, not to shame ourselves, not to think that we are an abuser, We have stepped into that role once or twice, just as everyone on earth probably has at some point. So Jim continues by saying, healing the abuser is central to healing the whole situation. If they are not healed, they are highly likely to continue to cause the same kinds of pain to others again and again and again. But in lots of ways, there are few to no paths to absolution and redemption for a perpetrator. Many human cultures tend to be really good at condemnation and punishment, but these do not heal an abuser. They do not teach them new ways to behave or help the victim much, if at all. If someone makes a mistake once, even something so horrible as murder, do they face a kind of eternal social purgatory for one mistake? Is there no way that they can atone and return to a healthy place in society? I say yes, but many people say no. No is the easy way out. 
it's the coward's way out. It eschews the pain and challenge of helping someone make amends, change behaviors, and deal with the messy emotions that all parties involved in a transgression, abused, abuser, any witnesses, and others will go through. When we say no, it's like cutting off a hand that's bleeding. It makes another wound, and then that wound generally will elicit another attempt to end the wounding. So a person tries to cut off that part of the arm. The wounding gets worse. A person can look at World War I as a prime example of not addressing wounds correctly. Many, many wounds were caused during that war, but the winners of the war sought to punish Germany for its actions rather than heal the wounds of the German people as well. In cutting off the hand that caused the pain, they created a new pain. And lo and behold, Hitler and the Nazis rise to power and then brings about World War II and the Holocaust. The truth of the matter is very simple. Unaddressed pain will rise up again. The only sane thing a truly conscious person and community can do is to learn how to help both survivors of pain and abusers to heal. So this article is for those who have hurt others, those who have been hurt, and those who simply need to be part of a healing process to help with these reconciliations. Because it's only through reconciliation that an individual can become whole within themselves as well as reunited with society in a healthy way. Step one, realizing the mistake and taking responsibility. Step one to atoning for pain that you caused another requires you to realize the mistake. I've mentioned some pretty heavy stuff like murder and war but the mistake could have been something as simple as stealing your best friend's favorite toy when you were younger. The guilt of that may have been haunting you for some time, and now it's time to deal with that guilt and any pain you caused your friend. Before talking to the friend, if you're still in touch, you may want to find additional sources of support to help you in understanding your mistake and where it came from. You may want to journal about the situation to really look at what happened. This step is all about coming into full acceptance of what you did so that you can take full responsibility for your actions. Number two, investigating the source of the mistake. Actions are like the fruits of a tree. They are offshoots of a whole chain of events that have led up to the moment they were taken. Many times, healing a transgressor or abuser is incomplete because they do not understand the roots of their actions. They just get punished and are told that a specific action is wrong. They don't get help in understanding from where the behavior arose. For instance, if someone is growing up in a violent community then violence is being taught to them every day of their lives. It's setting up the individual to take violent actions, and of course, being around lots of violence is constantly triggering. 
They're stuck in at an alert level that maintains a readiness to fight or run from the situations that are going on. This kind of alertness can then show up in inappropriate situations where there is no real threat, but the individual is too stuck in fear to see it for what it is. If they've been beaten and abused themselves, then the tendency to lash out with violence is all set up to happen. The person is a powder keg waiting for the smallest of sparks to ignite. This is a sidebar for me, but this makes me think of Madison's voicemail. How often have we felt this way, like a powder keg? And the tiniest little thing can just switch us off and make us lose our shit at our friends, at our partner, at our family, at ourselves. Jim goes on to say, The above example is one of many for those who make more violent transgressions against other people, but for anyone who feels they've wronged someone else, there was a string of events building up out of childhood that needs to be investigated so that you understand what the root issue is. When you know that, you can actually get to work on resolving the real issue. Step number three, healing the issue or issues that caused the mistake. Once one or several root issues, because it can be many, are identified, this is when the work gets real. This is a step that's often missed. Some people know why they did what they did, but they have no idea how to get the core issues out. That's also why simple punishment is largely ineffective. It doesn't teach people how to heal and fully resolve the issue that caused the person to do what they did, and it may happen again if it isn't resolved. The key thing to understand about this is that this can be a long and messy process but it can bring you greater peace and inner freedom if you're willing to do the work. Number four, admitting your mistake and asking for forgiveness when possible. Every transgression is different, but when possible, it is important to admit the mistake to the person who was harmed. For something like the theft of a toy example earlier, that might be done via an email or a phone call. If the transgression is more recent and there is still an active connection to the person, you could have the conversation in person. If the transgression was really serious, like a murder, the admission and asking for forgiveness may be directed to the surviving family members, and it would very likely need to go through the appropriate legal channels so that everyone is safe. To be sure, other people may want to commit violence back on the transgressor, for a very serious and permanent act like murder or abuse, but being killed would not serve anything. That kind of martyrdom would only continue the cycles of pain and suffering that people already live in, so safety is key for all participants in serious transgressions. To be sure, I'm using some very serious examples, and I'm sure many of you don't have to deal with such things. If you're asking for forgiveness from your children or your spouse for having forgotten to pick up the kids from soccer practice, that's a moderately uncomfortable situation. 
but everyone is already under the same roof, so that's a matter of setting aside time together to talk things through. That example, too, can be a powerful learning process for children to see how a parent atones for their bad behavior, which is not always something parents are very good at. Many try to always be right in the face of their children, even when they're wrong. This creates all kinds of future problems. So, this is a space where healing a transgression with one's children also offers the added benefit of teaching the children how to address transgressions that they may commit or future ones that may happen to them. Finally, if no interaction is possible, then you ask for forgiveness from the divine or your higher power. Sidebar from me, I know this might trigger people who have like religious trauma and had spirituality use used in the past as something to reject and shame and scare them. So I'm asking you in this moment to think of what a higher power might be for you. In a previous episode, I've talked about Glennon Doyle's concept, the touch tree. For me, I love the grandmother tree, grandmother willow in the movie Pocahontas. To me, that has always been the most like comforting, beautiful, divine spiritual figure to me and sometimes when i think of god instead of thinking about how god was portrayed to me when i was raised in more like evangelical and catholic upbringing it helps me to think about god or the divine or source or whatever you want to call it in a way that is comfortable and comforting for you and that can even mean thinking of a figure who you love from history So just consider that. I'm going to start back over here. Finally, if no interaction is possible, then you ask forgiveness from the divine, whatever feels comfortable for you. I recommend having the full conversation that you need to have out loud or on paper to fully confess all the things that you feel. You may have a close friend, spiritual teacher, or other confidant sit in the space as the person who was hurt and then at the end as sincerely as you can ask for forgiveness and see what happens i love this so much and yet again i'm providing a bit of a side bar reflection here you don't always have to get forgiveness from people for every little thing sometimes it's not necessary you'll know in your gut when it is But you can get just as much from doing what Jim suggests here, which is writing that person a letter and asking someone else who you love to sit there and just hold that space and kind of embody the person that you want to write the letter to. You can read it out to them and ask for forgiveness and have that person kind of say, I forgive you. And then you do something ritualistic like burn the letter or rip it up and I don't know, bury it in a box with a flower. I don't know. These are just some things that just came up for me that I thought could be quite beautiful. The thing is, is like you're turning it into a bit of a ritual. That's why religion is powerful for some people because having a ritual like going to confession or dousing yourself in a river and being baptized, it can make you feel that you're free from sin or free from what's been holding you back. So there's nothing wrong with creating your own rituals, your own higher power. 
And I actually actively encourage that. Don't adopt other people's rituals or beliefs or visions of what God or spirituality is. Figure it out for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. So step five is sincerely making amends. Part of the forgiveness process may involve making amends before getting forgiven by the other person. Sometimes forgiveness comes first, and then specific amends can be taken. However, taking specific actions to address the transgression is key. Sometimes the actions to make amends will be obvious. If you broke a vase, then you fix it, or you buy the person a new vase. Other pains that people cause require different kinds of amends to the person and or people who have been wronged. If a person has been correcting others in an attempt to make themselves feel superior for a long time, there's not a tangible thing to be given necessarily. It's not like paying a fine would make sense or something to that nature. Instead, this superiority issue leads to step six, where the person has to practice new behaviors such as not interrupting, shouting over people, judging them, or whatever way they did to prove themselves right at the expense of others. Most of all, the person who is atoning needs to be sincere. A true atonement process is not like being forced to pick up trash as a community service. In so many instances, such an action is not decided upon between the two parties, the abused and the abuser. It comes from someone else, like a court, and it may lack any relevance to what the transgression actually was. So discussing with the other person when possible what they would like done as an appropriate amends is really helpful. It can also help the abused individual to fully heal, which is the best of all possibilities in atoning for pain you may have caused another person. Then you do whatever is asked as sincerely and to the best of your abilities. Number six, practicing new corrected behaviors. It should be said that sometimes those who have been hurt won't be ready to immediately forgive or will never forgive. That's their choice. Your choice is to do your utmost to resolve your core issues and to take the actions you need to amend the situation. If the situation is something like having stolen something, then the old things get returned or the person is reimbursed in some way. Doing these things are part of both truly admitting guilt and practicing new behaviors. Additionally, if the person's old behaviors were about stealing or taking things, then important new behaviors are needed. For example, volunteering and being of service would be new behaviors, and they would help to dissolve the old unhealthy behaviors by giving the person a clear replacement. It's okay to not get these new behaviors perfectly right. Diligence and dedication are important to really, truly embracing new ways of acting. For a time, you may still return to some old habits. Obviously, the more egregious ones like physical violence may be resisted at all times. And if this is difficult, then you should find additional support in going deeper in inner work to fully resolve any violent tendencies you may have. However, the more benign backslides can happen, like 
blowing up at someone, Madison, that one's for you, like in the over-criticizing people example, that's okay. But that also means there's more healing work to be done to ensure that you stop hurting others or hurting yourself. That means this process of atonement will at times ask you to return to steps two and three to ensure that you're fully releasing the issues that caused you to hurt another person or multiple people. Now, step seven, reintroduction to the wronged person when possible. At the end of this, it's important that when possible, a transgressor can be received anew. Unlike a lot of the way society handles transgressions and crimes of all kinds, there needs to be a social mechanism for reintegration with society and oftentimes the individual who is wronged. They need to be accepted as a new person in many ways. If someone who has sexually abused their partner has truly done the first six steps and the two people still want to be together, there needs to be space to redevelop their relationship. Reintroduction is more than just saying, hey, my partner is fixed or cured. It will likely require changes in behavior on the part of the other person too. There will be a way that both people need to redefine the relationship so that it can be healthy. And if they do this, the relationship could be far stronger and more loving than ever before. Other situations will require more work than some. Society needs to find space in its collective heart to allow a truly redeemed murderer to get a job without shutting them out. That requires much more work socially and legislatively. But doing so means having someone to be a healthy part of society once more and will further cement the healing process. When this is not allowed, people get pushed back into the shadows even after serving time in prison and hopefully doing the above work that I've mentioned here. That makes becoming a repeat offender almost a certainty, and everyone suffers more because of this. I think one of the most wonderful examples of deep healing is in the story of Rwanda after genocide. If people there can befriend the murderer of their brother and so many others, then people anywhere can do it. Once again, the key in all of this is dedication. This is a messy process. There's no certainty in healing. All parties are likely to want to fall back to their most basic ego programming. So we all have to be dedicated in demanding healing of transgressors, in transgressors demanding healing for themselves, and in creating space for people to have atoned and be welcomed back into the heart of society. If we do this hard work, there will be countless benefits to all of us and a far more peaceful and kind society than we can imagine today. So I hope you enjoyed this article by Jim. I will link it in the episode description if you'd like to review it in more detail or write down these steps. But the important part here is that atoning is very important. But all too often, we try to force forgiveness and just want it to go away and just want to erase what happened, even in such simple things that's so far from being something like murder in Madison's example. 
She lost her shit on her friends, had a blow up. I don't know exactly what went down, but her friends aren't speaking to her anymore because of it. It's really important that we allow time to really reflect, be able to really understand, like what Jim said, what was the root of that? What's the root of that blow up? Reflect on it. And only then can we approach the people who we may have hurt to go through this process of atonement. Another thing, even people who lose their cool and might physically hurt someone or any other transgression, they're also worthy of forgiveness and atonement as well. Because what will we do with all of these cast out people who we have marked as unforgivable? Do we just murder them? Do we lock them up? Do we shoot them off to space? Think of all the times where you felt like you were unforgivable and maybe when someone offered you forgiveness and how that felt. Love and forgiveness and atonement are incredibly powerful things that have transformative qualities. But as Jim said, they must be sincere. We must dedicate ourselves to understanding what the root cause is and also dedicate ourselves to replacing these with more constructive behaviors and making amends. I used to work with addicts and drive these people to Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meetings and the AA organization is big on a higher power. It's big on making amends and atoning as part of healing from an addiction. And it's changed the lives of millions of people. Whether or not you agree or align with the ideology of AA, there's no denying the powerful impact it's had on millions of people's lives. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Forgive yourself because we're humans and we all make mistakes. I think each and every one of us has played the role of abuser in some form or fashion. No one is perfect. No one is beyond reproach. No one has never hurt another person emotionally, at least, in their life because of unconscious, unresolved trauma. So I hope that this episode reaches someone who needs it. And I hope you let it soak into your soul. And I hope that you find what atonement means for you and allow this process to cleanse you and be part of this never-ending healing cycle. So if you'd like to hear your voice on the podcast or send me a voicemail, responding to this, to any of the listeners, or just sharing the impact that the podcast has had on your life, you can go to backfromtheborderline.com and click the microphone icon. And while you're on the website, if you would like to take your recovery process in a deeper direction, you can click unlock premium access and become a premium subscriber. My premium subscribers get really in-depth, nitty-gritty recovery episodes, additional ones every week, and a little bit of a more intimate look into my own life as well. 
So I'd love to welcome you into the circle of my premium subscribers. So go to the website and click unlock premium access to learn more about that. So until then, I'm sending you huge hugs from me to you. Be kind to yourself. Looking forward to seeing you right back here next week.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.